Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we're vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. Men, as always, I'd like to begin by thanking you for checking out today's show. Today is Friday, or at least it's when this is going live, so that means it is an Out in the Garage podcast episode. That means we're in Numbers 17, and number 17 is your discount code if you go to Darkwater Woodwork. The link is in the show notes. And you purchase the Out in the Garage Beard Bundle. Uh, Doug is generous enough to give you 15% off your order, so go there, check out the Out in the Garage Beard Bundle. He's got a whole lot of other stuff on there as well. Uh, he does good work, loves Jesus. No downside to that. Let's get into this. Number 17, Aaron's Staff Buds. That's an interesting title for the portion of Scripture. Well, if you've been tracking along, you know there's been a little bit of rebellion, a little bit of pushback, and um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now anytime you read that, the Lord spoke to particularly Moses saying, there is an instruction that's about to take place, and it's not always in the favor of the grumbling Israelites. You know, sometimes God is saying, hey, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you some water. I'm going to do this, that, or the other. But in this instance, uh, God is going to uh, prove a point here. Speak to the people of Israel, verse 2, and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, like you're going on a field trip. We've got to write your name on here. Uh, make sure we know who's is whose. I would imagine. There might be some similarities in the staffs, this long rod that they would carry with them like a, a shepherd would have if he's you know, kind of tending his sheep in the wilderness. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of illustrations about uh, a rod or a staff, particularly when it comes to Moses and, and leading the Israelites. God said, okay, I want every, every guy who's representing um, his, his house, his, his uh, group of people, to, to get their rod, make sure their name is on it. Maybe the wife the night before is engraving their name. I don't, you know, I don't know, but their name is on it. Let's make sure there's no question whose is whose. And uh, we, we want Aaron to do that too. Verse 3, right? Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. So we got 12 tribes here. We're going to throw 12 rods down. We'll explain that in just a second. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Okay? When you know about the life of Moses and you you know about his leadership in the nation of Israel and, and, and leading him across the desert floor and stuff, there's there's a number of times where a staff or a rod has uh, made an appearance when the it became a serpent, right? Um, the waters of the Nile turn into blood. He holds it over the Red Sea when the Red Sea is parted, right? Struck the water. We haven't got to that yet. But Numbers 20, he's going to strike the water, the rock for water to come out. He's going to hit it twice, supposed to hit it once. Spoiled that for you. But, um, yeah, the, the rod or the staff is also an image uh, that, that God uses throughout Scripture to demonstrate his authority over us that he shepherds us, he leads us. There's uh, plenty plenty of portions of Scripture. Um, you know, Psalm 2.9, you shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, Isaiah 11.4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek uh, of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and he will break, uh, or and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Uh, Ezekiel 20 talks about, I will make you pass under the rod or the staff. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I want to, I want to make sure each guy's name 
is on this. Gather them all. Inscribe, if you will, the name of the tribe, including Aaron. And uh, I want you to put them all together. Okay. And so he goes to verse four. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you and the staff of the man of whom I choose shall sprout. Now, if you've been tracking along, you know, you know whose staff is going to sprout here, right? Um, thus, I will make to see, I, I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. God says, I hear it. I hear, I hear the grumbling. No kidding. You know, he definitely hears the grumbling. Uh, and Moses is like, yep, I'm right there with you. I'm hearing it too, right? And so he said, uh, I'm going to show you. I'm going to make it obvious. I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. God said, I am going to uh, rid myself of these complaints. At, at least for a moment, the people will understand. Okay. Um, Aaron's staff, is it's going to be obvious. And it's going to be incredibly obvious when, when he does this. Yet, Moses is surrounded by people who are complainers. People who are just bitter in soul. Constantly having an issue with something, right? Now, here's the thing you need to understand especially if you serve in any form of leadership. You could lead a school staff. You could lead your local little league. You could serve in your, you know, in a leadership position in your church or on the HOA board. Who wants to do that? You could, there's a lot of places where you could be put in a position where you are now over some people. Now, probably, hopefully, you're not leading these people with a giant rod or staff, okay? Um, if you are, uh, you probably won't be in that position very long. Uh, but in this instance, God says, I, this complaining is, is, is never, it's just not stopping. And you need to know that. The people that complain, it's one thing if someone, and we've talked about this in the last couple uh, episodes on Out in the Garage, it's one thing if an individual comes to you in the appropriate manner and says, hey, I just want to, I, I just need to air this out, or I feel like I owe this to you, or I feel like, this is something that needs to be said or whatever. Man, digest it. Absolutely. And, and if you're in a position of leadership, and perhaps you need to act on it. Perhaps there's something that God is trying to teach you through that individual who had the courage to tell you, um, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm noticing. But also understand that people that complain are rarely satisfied with like facts. They're rarely satisfied with like the bottom line or an Excel sheet with all the numbers. You know, um, I've seen this when you present like a budget every year for a church. There's there's always a guy that knows a little bit more. Now he's not going to sit on that board and he's not going to have to make those tough financial decisions. But he likes to look like he's the clever one in the all church meeting and say, "Well, what about a return of this percentage?" You know, there's always the person. I learned this a long time ago. I was sitting in an elders meeting. And we were wrestling through something and someone brought up and I thought I found it interesting at the time. And now that I'm older, many years older, I say, oh, they were absolutely correct. The person was probably my age. I, I, I don't know. Uh, now looking back, but they said, we, we can resolve this issue and we can give in on this issue that, that there's a handful of people that are upset about. And it was a small handful uh, that are complaining and kind of murmuring, if you will. But know this. 
this will not be the last issue that they complain about. This will not be the last time that this group of people all kind of come together and say lots of people or there are people or, you know, those big sweeping statements that it makes it sound bigger than what it is. He said, this will not be the last time that they have a complaint against us and they want us to bend on this. And so we really have to believe if we're going to bend that this is the right thing to do. And if we don't, then we got to hold our ground. And I thought that was very fascinating at the time. I thought, well, that, I guess we'll kind of see how that plays out. Through my years, that man was correct. There are people that no matter what the issue is, they will have a complaint. You can show them all the facts. You can show them a return on the investment. You can show them you know, all the, the, the numbers and all the things that you want to show them. God has made this incredibly clear to the nation of Israel ever since the day they walked out of Egypt. I am your God. Moses is my instrument. Aaron is his helper. Okay? It's, uh, God is not saying you're less than. He's saying these are different roles. These are different responsibilities. I speak to Moses different than I speak to the rest of you. Moses speaks to Aaron different than he speaks to the rest of you. That's inevitable. That is going to happen. We even see that in the life of Christ. There were certain people that he spoke with differently than he did to the masses or to the 72 or the 12. It's just the way it is. So if you say, well, I want to be on the inside group, well, maybe stop complaining. I don't know. And so he goes on, Moses deposited the staff, verse 7, before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony. Behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds then Moses well, let's just stop right there now I'm not a almondologist or whatever that person would be that understands the growing of things I'm not I can barely do a bucket garden uh, that's that's my, my wife is way more skilled at all this stuff than, than I am but um, I understand that uh, it takes more than one evening for something to sprout especially something good, and put forth buds and produce blossoms. Can we agree on that? And then and then have ripe almonds. It takes more than one night for that to happen, doesn't it? Here's the other thing. That wood is dead. <laughs> it wasn't like that was on a tree. It wasn't like God said, now from this tree, which we will carve out, and cut out and and dig out rods and staffs for y'all. Uh, you know, mark your mark your name where you want your staff to come from. No, the, this 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 wood's been dead for a long time, dry, dead. Got some engraving in it. From that, we get uh, blossoms and uh, well, buds and ripe almonds. Now, just briefly, and I mean briefly, I googled how long does it take for almonds uh, to, to what I type? How long does it take almonds to grow? The first thing that comes up on that google.com is an almond tree does not produce almonds immediately. Rather, it takes about three to four years. Wow, I thought, that's impressive, three to four years. And then I found an article back from 2019. Now, maybe this is outdated, I don't know. I doubt it. Almonds probably haven't changed a whole lot. An almond tree could take as long as five to 12 years to start producing almonds. Here's the point. Only God can do that. Only God. Now, I want to know, did you eat the almonds? 
you certainly didn't discard them, right? I mean, if you're, you're if you're longing for all the food you had in Egypt, when you see some ripe almonds, and I can imagine it's like the bread when Jesus fed the five thousand. I bet these were the best tasting. I'm not even an almond guy, but I would love to get a handful of these. I mean, it might have been the best tasting almonds ever in the history of almonds. What would take anywhere from three was the lowest number I found to twelve years. God did in three to twelve hours. Probably less than that, if we're honest. It reminds me of Jonah when they had to hold a little flower over him and it died. And God's like, that's nothing. And so here, let's, let's read on. Moses brought out the staffs like, well, let's see what the proof is. Brought out the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel. And they looked and each man took a staff. Yep, that's mine. That's my name. Yep. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony. Uh, to be kept as a sign for the rebels. You don't want to be in the category of rebels. I know that's a cool thing, and especially in 2023, we want to be a little rebellious and go against the flow. It, not, not, not in this instance. That you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. That's that's your choice. Take it or leave it. You can uh, you can stop, or you can die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded. Now, normally I don't read the whole chapter, but this is 13 verses. 13 incredibly important verses. So I'm, I'm just reading this. Normally you don't get the whole chapter. I'm reading almost the whole thing right here. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. They are so dramatic, aren't they? <laughs> they are so drama. It is, does not need to be this complicated. It does not need to be like this. They're so dramatic. Man, they can't get out of the way of themselves. And then when they find themselves in a predicament, they're like, oh, woe is us. What are we going to do? We're going to die. We're going to perish for the good things and the bad things. Here, God is using this instance to say, one more time, who's in charge here? Now, I get it when you turn around and you see the Egyptians chasing you and you've been free for 17 minutes. I get that that could cause you some stress. But remember, they wanted to go back and there were no, there were no graves out here. And then the sea parted and, you know, singing a song of Moses and everyone's got their tambourines and their salt shakers and their spoons and the triangle and all. They got all this stuff together and they're having a hoorah and a kickball game and all that stuff. And I, okay. And then you get hungry. Sometimes we get hungry, we get a little less reasonable. Been walking, got all that dirt up in your nose and every crevice. It's like going to the beach, but you know, forever. And you know, they're walking, they're tired, and we're just gonna die. You brought us out here because there were no graves, and our little ones are gonna die. And they just complain and complain and complain and complain. They're so dramatic, but we are too. I can be dramatic, man. I can be angry. I can get just fired up. I was sharing with my wife recently about something. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm trying to share less of these things with you sometimes because it it just dumps the load on you. And that's not fair. But I was telling her an instance, a scenario, and how I felt about that instance and scenario and, you know, kind of some context. And she stopped me and said, now you didn't say that, right? No, I'm talking to you here. I'm just giving you my my transparent, as being as transparent with you and genuine as you. I can. This is how I felt. This is how I feel. This is how I still felt, feel and felt, whatever. And uh, a little dramatic now looking back on it. I believed every word I was saying. 
Every single word that left my mouth that, that night on talking to her, I believed every single word of it. I look back going, I was being a little dramatic. We all can be a little dramatic. Everyone who comes near, verse 13, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? It would be great if God would just reveal himself to the nation of Israel and just say, hey, it's going to be okay. Here's, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know, right? The people in this instance are convicted of their sin. But it ain't going to last that long. What they were supposed to understand is, you are sinful people. That is that We, we understand that. But Aaron is in a position of priestly leadership, right? And he's offering the sacrifices for you all. So be okay with that. Be, be be okay with that, right? They're kind of having a little bit of a anxiety attack here. We've got to find our inhaler. We're going to breathe in a bag. We're going to need to go for a walk a minute. You know, hands above the head. It's like in basketball, you're grabbing the shorts, kind of leaning over, right? All of a sudden, they're just like, this is it. This is how we die. Everything is, you know, we're just... God is making it abundantly clear time and time again, right? Time and time again, I am God, you are not. And when we keep this relationship within the right context, within the right frame, you will be okay. You will be okay. Now, they went through a lot of stuff here, okay? Remember you had Korah and that group of 250-plus guys judged, destroyed, right? So all that's gone. You've seen Aaron's sons gone. You've seen some things happen here, right? There's a lot of things that are going to happen. Plague that destroys 14,000, right? There's a lot of stuff going on here. This is not an unreasonable fear. However, if you choose to fear God appropriately, what else then should you fear? The answer would be nothing. I go back to it time and time again, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It's the same spirit, same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If he lives in you, he too will give life to your mortal bodies. What could possibly happen to you that 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 would be worse, you know, that 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 would separate you from God? The thing you should fear is if you don't know if you're reconciled with God, if you don't know if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you don't know if you have that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that, that's the thing you should fear. No, we fear all kinds of stuff. We fear the world, whatever forum, or what the dollar value is, or... What's happening here and there? And I mean, we, we get into all kinds of stuff. I mean, when, when's the last time you said, man, how's your soul? How's your private, personal worship? When's the last time a Christian brother asked another Christian brother, not about politics, not about fake fantasy football, not about a hobby or any but asked him about something spiritual that has ramifications on where he's going to spend eternity. You see, we talk about a lot of things and do a lot of things, and, man, I'm all for getting the brothers together and hanging out. No question about it. I'm looking at it about 
a week to 10 days before a whole herd of humans comes in town and we're going to hike and we're going to worship and we're going to eat and we're going to spend a ridiculous amount of time sitting around um, fire pits and talking and telling stories and laughing and making fun of each other and all the things. Man, I can't wait. But that relate those relationships, make no qualms about this, those relationships are built on our relationship with Jesus. So when you have a relationship with Jesus, man, you, if there's anybody on this planet next to your spouse that you should be able to have a great time with, it's other men of God. Other men of God. I mean, you come back better. You come back encouraged. You come back not unequally yoked with unbelievers. You come back knowing, man, I got some, I got some guys on my side. I've said it time and time again. I don't know where I'd be without the men and tribe. But it, you know, the conversation we have through Zoom and challenges and Facebook, all, all the things, that's great. But it pales in comparison to when we get face-to-face. Pales in comparison. And you can post things online all day long, and some people do. You, there's always those people that will, you know, they come up with something and they post it in like six groups, and you're trying to get some likes and some comments, maybe some follows, I don't know. And you, you can post all day long. There's days where I've just been thinking of this and this and this, and I'll post, 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 and I'm like, but it's empty. It's okay, but it's empty. It's like eating a Pop-Tart. I like Pop-Tarts. I love Pop-Tarts, but it's empty. It does no nutritional value. Nothing good comes from it. I just like Pop-Tarts. But I can't live. I can't live on pop tarts. Like I gotta have real food. I gotta have fruit. I gotta drink water. I gotta go outside. I gotta exercise. That's what I'm saying. You gotta move beyond that. And when you do that, man, it just it changes your it changes your outlook. It's totally different. Here, what we're seeing is people gathering to grumble, not gathering to grow. You have the choice. You can gather with people to grumble, or you can gather with them to grow. You can gather with people and talk about things that are absolutely pointless, but they're safe. They're safe. I remember once getting up to preach, and a guy stopped me real quick and asked me if I saw the fantasy football trade. I don't know if I've ever played fantasy football since that time. That was probably seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And I thought, are you kidding me? Are you that? That's what's on your heart right now as, as we're sitting here in this game. Yeah, for some guys that is. That's as deep as they're willing to go. For some in there, just not willing to to go any further, deeper than like ankle deep. That's as far as they're willing to go because they know if they go beyond that, they're going to have to get a little bit vulnerable. Well, you can stay at the surface and everybody gets dramatic when the problems arise. But if you go a little deeper and you got some relationships that have some substance, when problems arise, and they always will when the storms come and it is inevitable, boy, you got something to work with here. These people are complaining, we're going to die, we're going to die. It's not going to change their heart. Their hearts weren't necessarily changed. This won't be the last documentation of complaining or anything like that. This just shows you that dramatic events and you know fake tears and freaking out and stressing out and oh my words and all the rally the emotional ambulances, that didn't change their rebellious heart. The only way their heart gets changed, the only way the attitude gets changed, the only way the community gets changed, by God. Recognize him as God. He is king. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the mediator. He is the door. He is the gatekeeper. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we don't get that right, we don't get that right. Now, some of you got that right. You just haven't taken another. You just say, I got Jesus. I'm good. I'm just going to sit over here. Yeah. That, you, that, 
yeah, I'm telling you, you read that New Testament. I love the Old Testament. Some guys think we don't love the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It's so good. It's so good. There's so much to get from it. And I know some guys like to fly fly the Old Testament flag, and some guys only fly the New Testament flag. Yeah, we go both. Because you need them both. If you don't have the New Testament, the Old Testament is a story with a dead end. If you don't have the Old Testament, the New Testament is a story that's got some explaining to do. All of a sudden, we show up, there's a John, there's a Jesus, there's a Zechariah, there's a Mary. There's a, like, wait, 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 what is, what is going on here? You need them both. But what you find as you go throughout Scripture, we are built for one another. We're built for one another. Because when I find myself getting dramatic, when I find myself complaining, like with my wife, like with my friends, like with my brothers and tribe, whatever, they'll straighten you out. But if you gather with people who jump on in and do the same thing, you'll be a mess. Hey, man, the choice is yours. Thanks for listening. Let's keep pursuing biblical manliness.